I'm Pastor Daryl Curtis, and this is my 77th Sermon on the Biblical Design of Gender, in which my point is that Jesus saved the day at a wedding at the behest of the mother whom he loved, because Jesus' ministry was not about ceremonial law or sacrifices, but about love. The following is a presentation of the Family Life Baptist Church in Lansing, Michigan. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com. Good morning on this fifth, uh, 29th day of the month of May, uh, year of our Lord 2011, a beautiful day, and uh, had a beautiful day yesterday, and it looked like another one today, and hopefully the holiday tomorrow will be just as nice as have been the last two days. And for all of you that are listening, we certainly want to thank you for listening to us today. Now, our lesson for this morning is the 77th part in our sermon series on the biblical design of gender. And the text is in the second chapter of the book of John, uh, verses 1 and 2. And in them, the Bible says this. Now, on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. God bless the reading of his word and let us bow our heads in a word of prayer. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you afresh for the total sufficiency of Jesus Christ, for the perfect teaching ministry of your blessed Holy Spirit, and for his ability to explain your word. So, Lord, give us the words to say and let us say them with liberty, with clarity, and with boldness, and that somebody listening might believe the report. Thanking you in advance for all that you are going to do in the strong and perfect name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Now, thank you very much for coming to hear our message for today. And before we begin this, our next lesson, let us reiterate our reason for attending church. We attend church to obtain the mind of Christ, meaning to have the Bible illuminated in our minds so that we can clearly understand the principles that Jesus taught and base our daily personal decisions on those principles. We come to church because we want to be obedient to the Bible, which is the doctrine of Jesus Christ in an informed, insightful, and intelligent manner. And our takeaway point in this series on the biblical design of gender is that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Now, in our last lesson, we considered the role of Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, and Joseph in the miraculous births of John the Baptist and Jesus the Christ. Their common characteristic was submissiveness. Zacharias and Elizabeth submitted to God in the naming of their child, which was a small submission when compared to that of Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph had to submit 
to scuttling their plans for a wedding celebration as they had a shotgun wedding under the moral cloud of an unwed pregnancy. Joseph married Mary, but he was not the one that impregnated Mary. Joseph chose to submit to the angel Gabriel's instructions to marry the pregnant Mary rather than seek the remedies given by the Mosaic law for men whose betrothed was unfaithful to them. But there was more hardship for Mary and Joseph to endure in order for the plan of God to be fulfilled. Luke chapter 2 verse 1 through 5 tells us, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So because of the Roman governor, Joseph and Mary had to make a trip to Bethlehem. And why was this such a great hardship? Luke chapter 2 verse 6 tells us, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Now the birth of a child, especially a woman's first child, is generally a family affair involving the woman and her mother. I can remember that when Paul was born, Marie's mother drove to Lansing to be with her. Marie's mom wasn't in the delivery room when Paul was born, but she was in the waiting room. And once he was born, she and Marie were able to be with one another. Now, it is certainly possible that Mary's mother accompanied her to Bethlehem. The scripture does not specify whether or not Mary's mother did so, but it is certainly a fact that most women desire to have their children in their home environment, if not at home, at least in our day at a hospital from which she can go to her home as soon as possible after the birth provided there are no complications. Paul was born on the 3rd of July, and Marie celebrated the 4th of July at our home. But during Mary's ninth month of pregnancy, Joseph told her that they had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Today, the 100-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem takes about two or three hours by car, But 2,000 years ago, the trip most probably took 8 to 10 days. Since there were no telephones, there was no way for Joseph to make reservations at any of the inns in Bethlehem to acquire accommodations for his wife, who was extremely pregnant, but not by him. So Mary rode to Bethlehem, almost ready to deliver, without accommodations, on a donkey, in the company of a man that had married her but not impregnated her. 
And Luke chapter 2, verse 7 tells us, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Jesus was born in a stable and laid in a manger, which is the box in which food for the cattle was placed so that they could eat. Jesus started out in a place in which food was served because as Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 35, 53, and 54, and Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And Jesus' parents took good care of him. As we can see from our examination of that which God said about the city of Jerusalem, in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, As for your nativity, on the day you were born, your navel cord was not cut, nor were you washed in water to cleanse you. You were not rubbed with salt nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things for you, to have compassion on you. But you were thrown out into the open field, when you yourself were loathed on the day you were born. But Jesus' parents had compassion for him. Although Jesus' parents' economic status caused him to be born in a place in which animals lived and ate, Jesus was not denied the comforting care of compassionate Jesus was tightly wrapped in swaddling cloths used to simulate the womb from which the child just came, surrounding him and keeping him warm and secure, as Ezekiel tells us that ancient parents that cherished their children did. Jesus' parents were also submissive to the law of Moses. Luke chapter 2 verse 21 tells us, and when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The naming of the firstborn son was considered an important event because that son would be the one to carry on the family line and would traditionally have been named after one of the patriarchs of the family. John the Baptist naming caused controversy among his relatives who expected the child to be named Zacharias. John was not a name that had been used in Zacharias's family. But Joseph, as did Zacharias, received instructions from the angel about the naming of the child and was obedient to them. Rather than naming the child Joseph as would have been his prerogative, Joseph named the child Jesus. But the formality associated with Jesus' birth were not completed. Luke chapter 2, verse 22 through 24 records, 
Now, when the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the law of the Lord specifically says in Leviticus chapter 12, verse 2 through 4 and 6 through 8, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if a woman has conceived and born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. When the days of her purification are fulfilled, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest a lamb of the first year as a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who has born a male or a female. And if she is not able to bring a lamb, then she may bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one as a burnt offering and the other as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. Now blood in God's economy is shed to atone for sin. Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And in the Mosaic law, the birth of a child is a commemoration of the sin of the woman in the garden, whose penalty for sin was increased pain in childbirth. And the blood shed at the birth of a male child makes the woman ceremonially unclean for 41 days, one day longer than Moses stayed on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments, and one day longer than the Israelite spies took to spy out the promised land. And after the 41-day period of purification, the woman is considered clean once again. But the mate to cleansing is atonement. Uncleanness is a reminder of sin. Cleansing is the physical release from the consequences of sin, and atonement is the spiritual release from the consequences of sin. Since the consequences of sin is death, any atonement for sin required a death and the coincident shedding of blood. And as Leviticus chapter 12, verse 6 through 8 tells us, one of the sacrifices associated with a birth 
was a sin offering, the death of an animal, and the shedding of its blood to atone for sin, while the other was a burnt offering, a shared meal between the Israelites and God. God enjoyed the aroma of the cooking meat, while the Israelites enjoyed the taste of the cooked meat. The meal signified the restoral of the relationship between the cleansed, atoned-for sinner and God. And these ceremonies existed because God wanted the Israelites to be preoccupied with their sins. It is only by the knowledge of the law and a preoccupation with sin that sin can be avoided. When Joshua succeeded Moses as the leader of the Israelites, God told him in Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. From the garden, the tempter has been on earth trying to persuade men to disobey God either deliberately or accidentally. The sacrifice of an animal as a periodic reminder of the wages of sin was intended to be a visible demonstration that provided an intellectual antidote to the wiles of the devil. Even as our communion ceremony commemorates the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, as an atonement for our sins, the offering for Jesus and his birth commemorated the death of the firstborn of Egypt for the sins of the Pharaoh, while the offering for Mary commemorated the sin of the woman in the garden. God went so far as to designate one of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Levi, to be responsible for doing the physical work required to maintain this sacrificial system while the other 11 tribes were to work to support them. And since Jesus came to earth to be the sacrifice that would end the sacrificial system, Joseph and Mary were required to offer the required sacrifices perfectly as it was not lawful to have a sacrifice with spot or blemish. So they submitted to the law of men and the law of God in every particular. They paid the required taxes and they offered all the prescribed sacrifices. And God was pleased with their sacrifice. Luke chapter 2 verse 25 and 27 through 35 tells us, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the customs of the law, Simeon took up Jesus in his arms, blessed God, and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light 
to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Joseph and Mary received confirmation from Simeon that the child was whom the Holy Spirit told both of them that he was. It is interesting, however, that Simeon spoke to Mary and not Joseph, who was ostensibly the child's father. You may remember that when Elizabeth announced that her son's name was to be John, the family turned to Zacharias to override Elizabeth's unconventional choice. Elizabeth only spoke to name the child because Zacharias was mute at the time. Generally speaking, the interaction between the outside world and the family was through the father. From the time that the angel instructed Joseph to marry Mary, God treated Joseph as Jesus's father. God gave Joseph the command to name the child Jesus. The family traveled to Bethlehem because of Joseph, not Mary. As the wise men left, God told Joseph to take his family to Egypt. And then after Herod died, God instructed Joseph to bring his family to Galilee rather than Judea. But Mary was actually Jesus' biological parent. Simeon spoke to Mary. And when the wise men came to see Jesus, their interaction was with Mary as well. In Jesus' last recorded childhood episode, at the Passover during Jesus' 12th year, Mary once again was the focus. Jesus accompanied his parents and relatives to the Passover ceremonies held in Jerusalem to commemorate the liberation of the Jews from Egyptian slavery by the supernatural death of each of the firstborn of Egypt. Jesus celebrated the sacrifices and then his 12-year-old mind decided that it would be interesting to question the scholars in the temple about the law. At the conclusion of the ceremonies, when Jesus' parents began making the trip back to Galilee, Jesus' mind was still among the scholars correcting their doctrine. Jesus' parents began the trip home without him, thinking that Jesus was somewhere in the caravan amongst the friends and relatives, but when Jesus did not respond to his parents' attempts to contact him, they recognized that Jesus was not with them. So they returned to Jerusalem to find him. When they reached Jesus in the temple, Joseph did not attempt to discipline Jesus. Rather, Jesus' mother Mary appealed to him. Luke chapter 2 verse 48 records, so when they saw Jesus, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And Jesus' reply is instructive. Luke chapter 2 verse 49 records, And Jesus said to them, Why did you seek me? 
Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Mary said that she and Jesus' father Joseph had been looking for him, but Jesus contradicted her, specifying that his father's business was the law in the temple. Joseph was the carpenter and had no business in the temple other than bringing his sacrifice to the temple. Joseph was not a priest or a Levite and thus could not participate in offering a sacrifice. Joseph was not a teacher of the law and thus would not be the one with whom Jesus chose to debate the meaning of the scripture. Luke, the historian that records this episode, gives us a genealogy of Jesus that deviates from the genealogy given in Matthew, which says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Matthew designated jo Jacob as Joseph's father. But Luke tells us in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli. Luke's genealogy mentions Joseph parenthetically, but reckons Jesus' lineage through Heli, who ostensibly is Mary's father. So Luke reinforced the fact that Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. However, this Passover episode begins with Luke chapter 2, verse 41 and 42, which says, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. Now, while the provenance for the practice is not in the Bible, Jewish males traditionally became bar mitzvah, Bar in Hebrew meaning sons and mitzvot meaning the commandments or sons of the commandments at 13 years of age, not 12. Prior to 13 years of age, Jewish males were not responsible to obey the law, but the responsibility was on their parents to supervise them. So technically, when Jesus came to the temple, he was not old enough to be a son of the commandments independent from his parents. Thus, Luke chapter 2 verse 51 tells us that Jesus left the temple. As it says, then Jesus went down with Joseph and Mary and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Interestingly, this is the last mention of any action that Joseph took as Jesus' father in the Gospels. When God interacted with Jesus' parents, he spoke to Joseph. But when Simeon and the wise men interacted with Jesus' parents, they spoke to Mary. And it appears that in the one case in which Jesus needed discipline, his mother was the one that spoke to him. Jesus did not challenge his mother, but submitted to her, as we read 
in Luke chapter 1, verse 51 and 52. Jesus' mother was instrumental in the inauguration of Jesus' miraculous ministry. Jesus prepared for his ministry by going to his cousin John, who was preaching repentance down by the Jordan River. Now, John's ministry of repentance was different than the ministry that was being offered in Jerusalem, which was a ministry of sacrifice. To offer a sacrifice doesn't necessarily require repentance, but only the ability to bring an animal to the altar. And since the sacrifices had to be offered periodically, the impetus of the sacrificial system was not to turn men away from sin, but to continually atone for sin. John's gospel changed the paradigm. John did not preach that the Israelites should bring him sacrifices to pay for their sinfulness, but rather that they should stop sinning. Luke chapter 3, verse 10 through 14 gives us the essence of John's preaching. So the people asked John, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. John's teaching was a departure from the teaching of the rabbis as John focused on doing the morally correct thing while the rabbis focused on offering the ceremonially correct sacrifice in the correct way at the appointed time. To the teachers of the law, the law was focused on the ceremonies at the temple. To John, the law was focused on morality, how people treated one another. And John was setting the stage for the coming of Jesus the Christ, who came to end the sacrificial system housed in the temple once for all, offering the last, best, and fully sufficient sacrifice of himself. Then, once Jesus Christ's last sacrifice was offered, the entire focus of worship would be on the morality of doing the right thing rather than on the ceremonial slaughter of animals. Jesus Christ came to change the focus of worship from ceremonial legalism to practical love. Jesus Christ came to change the focus of worship from ceremonial law to practical grace. But the ceremonies of the law of Moses were codified by God. A change in the status of God's law, such as I have postulated, could only come from the God that gave the law. Thus, in order for Jesus Christ to initiate the change that his ministry required, Jesus Christ had to show his relationship 
to the God that gave the law. And that relationship could not just be preached. That relationship had to be demonstrated. And so, after his baptism, Jesus Christ spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting and preparing for ministry and finally withstanding the temptation of the devil who tried to persuade Jesus as he had persuaded the man and the woman in the garden to avoid the problems of ministry by disobeying God. Once Jesus withstood the temptation, he went back home to recover from his fast and prepare for his ministry. Jesus spent his first two days calling disciples, and then he and his mother were invited to a wedding feast. John chapter 2 verse 1 and 2 records, On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. But the couple being married were of modest means and were not able to properly prepare for the size of the celebration. John chapter 2 verse 3 tells us the problem. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus responded to his mother that her appeal was inappropriate. John chapter 2 verse 4 records, Jesus said to her, woman, what does that concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But Mary, remember the episode at the temple when Jesus was 12 years old. She spoke to Jesus. Jesus gave her an argument, but then he lovingly submitted to her and did that which she wanted. So once again, Mary counted on Jesus' submission. John chapter 2 verse 5 records, Jesus' mother said to the servants, Whatever Jesus says to you, do it. And once again, Jesus submitted to his mother. John chapter 2, verse 6 through 10 records, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the matter of purification of the Jews, content, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up, to the brim and Jesus said to them draw out some now and take it to the master of the feast and they took it when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from but the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called a bridegroom and he said to him every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. So Jesus began his miraculous ministry by saving the day at a wedding, celebrating the love between a husband and wife at the behest of the mother whom he loved. And in his first miracle, Jesus reinforced our takeaway point that God has designed man as the cooperative coalition of husband and wife 
so that man can successfully achieve the objective that God has given us to exercise dominion over the earth, developing wisdom and knowledge in preparation for further responsibility in our eternal life. Jesus' ministry is not about ceremonial laws or sacrifices, but is about love. Jesus' ministry is a change in the system. And Jesus demonstrated that the change is from God by displaying the power of God in his miraculous ministry. And Jesus' demonstration was effective. As John chapter 2 verse 11 tells us, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And Jesus reinforced the loving nature of his ministry in the very next chapter of the book of John, as John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus Christ's death on the cross was a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. We have no further need for the blood of bulls and goats to atone for our sins. Our focus is no longer on ceremonial sacrifice, but on loving relationships. Atonement for sin is no longer our focus, as our sins have been atoned for once for all by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But our focus is now on following the moral law to spread the love that Christ displayed for us on Calvary's cross as he suffered, bled, and died that our sins might be forgiven. The moral law is still our schoolmaster and we show one another love by treating one another morally. But the ceremonial sacrifices of the law have given way to obeying its tenets and Jesus gave us the new law in John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So let us live according to the love of Jesus Christ, giving ourselves for one another, as Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, chapter 20 and 21, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And that is our lesson for today. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you this morning for this lesson that you have given us. And we ask you, Lord, that you would keep uppermost in our mind the change in the law and help us to recognize that the ceremonies and the sacrifices and all of the things that we have learned about 
are in the Old Testament, but that in the New Testament, the law is the law of love, that our charge is to live morally in God's world, to treat one another with love, with respect, and with kindness, to do those things that you have commanded us to do for one another in your word, and that our focus should be on bringing those that do not know you in their pardon of their sins to a saving knowledge of you. Now, Lord, we thank you for all that are in the house today, and we ask you that you give us traveling mercies as we go down from this place, and then bring us back once again at the appointed time. And now, Lord, we thank you for all these things. We thank you for your goodness, for your mercy, and for your grace. And most of all, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross rising from the dead on that Sunday. Thank you, Lord, in the wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and thank God. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by this presentation. For more audio and video content, please visit FamilyLifeBC.com.